Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes David Walsh Kaufman, D.C., an author of the new book, Robot Archangel, a J6 persecution survivor, and today's topic telling the truth about January 6th. And David Walsh Kaufman, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Glad to be with you, Rob. We hear a lot about people who went through all of this on January 6th, and uh, and it's a terrible story that just keeps on giving bad news to people of America hearing about this political persecution. I'd like to take us yeah. back and rewind before the day just a little bit about you and your own history in your community, because you've given a lot of service. I find it particularly poignant and ironic. I was raised in D.C., grew up there. I did things like, for example, I taught Tai Chi on the Capitol grounds and in Lincoln Park, both on on Capitol Hill, of course, for uh, 27 years, free Saturday Tai Chi classes, which was a tradition I learned from uh, Robert Smith, uh, my first Tai Chi teacher. And I gave seven years pro bono chiropractic work on Tuesdays because chiropractic had been found to be so extraordinarily helpful with people who are dealing with any sort of addiction and substance abuse. And my practice was four blocks from the Capitol from 19, uh, November 1st, 1984 until uh, June of this year, serving families and staff, a Supreme Court justice and senators and congressmen and staff bureaucracy uh, chieftains and their families uh, for all of those years, a long history of being wedded to D.C. and public service. Tell us a little bit about that morning of January 6th and, and how and why you decided to just take a stroll down to the rally. I had seen election night with the Democratic caucus back in 2016 when the candidacy on the Democrat side was stolen from Bernie. And I was watching, as we all were, uh, TV that night, anyone who's sort of a political enthusiast or junkie. The lights went dark on the Iowa counting in the evening. And I just started laughing with myself because in the early 90s, Rob, I started writing a book called Caesar America's One Party Rule, which was about a stolen presidential election, because I was thinking at the time, it's only a question of time before people start stealing elections. Uh, so I did that. So then, you know, four years later, the same sort of pattern happens. So in 2020, you know, there it is, the irony, you know, everything that can go wrong, going wrong. So, um, I can't remember Rob, if I saw it on TV or if I heard it from my house, I know I heard it from my house Mm -hmm. and I guess I saw it, you know, that it was being reported that people were gathering, uh, at the Capitol. There's just no way. I told my friends, you know, there's just no way I'm not going to go down there. 
So uh, I went down there with a, a very loud motorcycle jacket because it was a cold, blustery day. And um, I was there and I took uh, pictures, video, as I was approaching from um, the east side, RFK Stadium side, for those who know D.C., yeah. the Capitol Hill side. And I just, as I walked towards the Capitol and towards the crowd, I would just take long video as I was approaching the crowd and attempting to go up the steps to the head of the crowd to see what people were saying and how they were interacting with the uh, the police. Because as a quick uh, parenthetical, I had also gone to six uh, George Floyd uh, events. As I was saying, I consider myself a student of human motivation. So I guess the, the point I want to make here, and I'm glad that you gave us the background, David, is that People who are at J6 for whatever reason have been accused of conspiring to overthrow the government. It sounds like you were curious on one level and also interested to see what was going on and why people were involving themselves, what they had to say, and the furthest thing possible from conspiring with others to overthrow the government. Well, I would say as a person who's probably thought about uh, overthrowing the government or, or stealing an election more than the average person, when you steal an election you know you can get away with it. And there's no civil process that you're going to bend your knee to or respect. Mm -hmm. So to think that a group of middle-aged people, um, and there there were young people there too, are going to go down there and overturn that thing is absolute folly. I looked at it as a protest of the obvious. How was the crowd and the the tenor of the crowd? I've heard a lot of reports that most of the people there were kind of happy and and exercising a constitutional right to petition their government. And yet the the mainstream media has portrayed this as almost a bloodthirsty crowd. So what was your experience? Yeah, exactly, Rob. That 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 that's the great point. And I can show it on my video cuz I'm showing, you know, minutes and minutes of video. And the crowd is very, very peaceful. You know, people are talking and they are, you know, having conversations um, uh, with the police and it's very collegial. Suddenly the tenor of the crowd changed or, you know, actors inside that crowd that was on the portico, the east front portico at the main doors where I was. Suddenly, Rob, it changed. And human beings started hurtling themselves at the doors. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why. I was there. I had my eyes wide open. Nothing changed. And I'm wondering what the heck switched. You know, what was that switch that made some people start hurtling themselves at the front doors? So I want to tag on to one word you used, which was actors, because a lot of people believe that this crowd had been infiltrated by some sort of government agents or some other group had sent agents in here. So in looking at this, and it doesn't make any sense, do you think that that's a possibility or even a probability? Having been there and seeing the crowd and seeing the sudden change and seeing no explanation for it, and I'm not an expert on uh, January 6th except for my experience. I've looked at a lot of things that friends have sent me that have uh, shown uh, people talking and providing evidence and their explanations for why the crowd might have been infiltrated. I would say that that is a strong possibility and uh, possibly even a probability. 
So tell us about your your experience during the course of the event. Like how long were you there? What other interactions did you have of note during that day? Uh, the crowd uh, was suddenly started surging forward. And I remember when I was a kid, I got a book from Mother Jones magazine mm-hmm. called Survival, Evasion, and Escape. And one of the passages I read that fascinated me was being crushed in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it said, you die of suffocation. You can't breathe. And suddenly... I was experiencing that and I was like, oh my God, this is astonishing. It is exactly what the book said. And I remembered what they said. If you want to get out, as soon as you get a chance, climb out over people and crawl out or walk out on people's heads. Mm -hmm. So the crowd started surging. A police officer, uh, a tall black gentleman that uh, that we were uh, talking with, um, he was very, very friendly and we were very friendly with him. Uh, he would said, see, look, you know, I give you guys an inch and you're taking a mile. And this, this one guy there who was protesting, he said, I know. He said, brother, they're not listening to me. And they were, people were just, you know, moving towards the, 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 the doors. And these were those, you know, tall bronze doors that open outwards. So there's no way you're going to crush them uh, inward and get in. So the, as I said, the crowd started moving forward. And the the guard said something, which I didn't realize until later what he was saying. He said, we're about to pepper spray you. So I got my eyes full of pepper spray. And for about 15, 20 minutes, I couldn't see a thing. Mm. I had like 5% visibility. And I was just looking at the ground, uh, looking at my feet, trying to get my eyes cleared because I knew there's no railing on the side of that portico that I could remember because I was a staffer on the hill and I used to make run through the tunnels and uh, outdoors. And I thought, you know, I could fall off, you know, 30 feet and get killed. Yeah. So just try and stay, uh, you know, in the middle of the crowd and survive this. So I was jostled forward. There was a, a little old man and a little old woman who were getting crushed by the crowd and we were getting crushed into the doors of the Capitol. The man was was turning uh, beet red, and he said, "Brother, I can't, I can't take it, I can't take it." And I said, "I know you can't." And I grabbed him by the by his collar, and I pulled him out of the way, out of this little alcove by the doors. And I was going to do the same thing for her. And then the crowd started surging again, and they were crushing in. And I was just, I, I put up my elbows at either corner of this alcove to make a little space for her so that uh, she wouldn't get crushed. And the crowd surged, I held that off as best I could, and we were in front of these two plexiglass bulletproof windows. And I know the cops could see us. And so the cops opened the door and they waved us in and I thought they were doing me a solid because I've made 500 walks around the Capitol, you know, over my lifetime of living there uh, since 84. And I thought they were doing a guy a solid. You know, I've talked to cops in the, in the late at night and, oh, we know who you are, Doc. Mm-hmm. Metro police and Capitol police are patients of mine. So I jumped in and I waved her in and she did not follow. And so I stood there, you know, with the, with the police who were, who were barricading the door and I waited to get instructions. And Rob, when I went inside, I was amazed to see the place half full of protesters there with their cameras and their their camera lights taking pictures saying this is history this is unbelievable we're inside the capitol and people were saying don't touch anything because we had had the riots of the, the previous summer yes 
And people said, don't touch anything. Don't, don't ruin anything. That's not who we are. Blah, 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 blah. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast, our guest is David Walls Kaufman, continues in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. That's Shillingshowmedia.com. Charlottesville's Community Watchdog. We continue now with David Walls Kaufman, uh, DC, also author of the new book, Robot Archangel. We're talking about his J6 experience and the subsequent persecution. So you're inside the building and you were let inside the building and presumably to protect you or to keep you safe from the surging crowd. And you see people who are looking to protect and not to destroy. What happened next? So uh, having been a gopher for the Joint Economic Committee in the early 80s, I said, well, you know, they aren't giving me any instruction. I don't know what to do. I'm going to try and find a way out. And so I hadn't spent much time on the Senate side making deliveries, but I had spent some time making House side deliveries, which is the south side of the Capitol. So I just, you know, followed what I knew and started heading towards the House side, the Nancy Pelosi side. I'm just walking with the crowd, you know, watching people, occasionally taking pictures, just watching the action. I remembered that there was a, an obscure staircase out to the south, a, a, an obscure south entrance. So I was making my way towards that side. And I got to the end towards, I guess, what is the entrance to the house side. Uh, or maybe the speaker's lobby. I can't really remember uh, what it is. I'd have to look at a map. People who are following J6 know what I'm talking about. And here was a bottleneck because there was a stairs, a main staircase that went down, and there was a, a big crowd there and a lot of cops. And so I sort of stopped there, and I was just talking to people and interviewing them. And then I heard a huge bang, boom, and I said, what the hell was that? And I said, well, whatever it was, I'm too late to do anything about it. And I didn't even look around the corner immediately, Rob. Um, I took about another, maybe another minute, uh, maybe 30 seconds. Anyway, I dipped my head around and Ashley Babbitt had just been shot. Oh my and goodness. the crowd was not going crazy, but they were like, what did you do? Why did you do this? And the expression on the on the police officers was just unbelievable. What has happened? What's going on here? What did somebody do? Why did we do this? What's going to happen next? And so it was a, a frantic dialogue between the protesters and the police. The police saying we're going to medivac her out and they couldn't decide if to take her down the stairs 
or medevac her out towards me and the, the way that I had come in. There's this dialogue of, you know, what should we do? And they said, we're going to take her out towards you. So we backed up out of the way. People said, get up out of the way. They're going to medivac her out. They're going to medivac her out. And this happened over probably about 15 minutes, I think. And I was taking pictures now and then, and only one or two of those pictures came out. Some operator error. I don't know what happened to my phone. And so, but once again, it was just startlingly cooperative, you know, even though people were like, what did you just do? You just shot this woman in cold blood. And then Rob reinforcements arrived, uh, police in uh, heavy riot gear, tactical gear. And they said, everybody out, everybody out, you know, without a, without a word of protest, we just started uh, walking out. And I had been talking to three guys who had uh, seen Ashley Babbitt or claimed to have seen Ashley Babbitt shot point blank. And one of those fellows was particularly distraught. You know, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a student of the brain and the nervous system. You know, chiropractic works through the, the structure of the body and the brain and the nervous system, the master system of the body. And I knew this guy was a candidate for PTSD, that this guy was in shock. Uh, an angel on my shoulder said, watch out for this guy. He could snap because he said they shot her. I, why did they shoot her? They, you know, I can't remember if he said they shot her in cold blood. He was just distraught. And so I said, come on, you know, we're all right. We're OK. We're OK. Let's let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I put my arm around him. And there was no reason for it, but it was like the, the police officers that had arrived uh, to usher us out and order us out. It was like, you know, territorialism. They were like chucking us, you know, with their batons and things like that. And there was no, absolutely no need for it. Now, whether it was intentional antagonism, I do not know. Uh, I did notice that uh, this guy that, you know, I, had, I was taking under my, under my wing, he had gotten chucked. I got chucked once. He got chucked five times on the way out. And each time he escalated. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, no, he's going to do something. And so we were at the, um, the house side entrance, not the main entrance that I came in on, but the house side entrance. And as one of my lawyer friends pointed out from the video, there's no reason but the police formed like a bottleneck. And they're chucking people, and there's this, there's this commotion there because it is a bottleneck that doesn't need to be there. And yet, once again, it's this, this chance of, for escalation. And this guy that, you know, I was chaperoning, he, he got chucked a, a, a last time, and he turned, and he balls his fist, and he rolls it up, and he's about to knock the block off this police officer. And I jump on him, and I said, no, no, no! And then when I did that, and here's, Rob, where it gets interesting, because the clips of me in the crowd don't start where I jump on this guy to stop him from hitting a police officer. They stop with the crowd kind of people call it a quote unquote scuffle. And so I get pulled from like behind uh, by my hood and by my jacket and by and from the side. And so the image in my mind was, don't, you're 66, 65 years old, don't get hit in the head. So I'm just using my Tai Chi skills to spread my base, grab onto things and not get uh, a hobnail boot 
a, a knee pad, an elbow pad, a shield, a helmet, or the marble floor in my face or head. And I'm just grabbing onto things as best I can not to lose my balance and fall. In that scuffle where I'm just trying to maintain my balance and I'm being pulled, uh, I get pulled from behind. I just keep my balance. I turn and I walk out. It's that clip of you know me sort of this in this mosh pit that was used to say that I had struck Officer Jeffrey Smith and me using my terrible Tai Chi skills for evil, uh, you know, wounded him and led him to commit suicide nine days later. My goodness. So all of this happened and then they eventually charged you these false charges. Did you have a trial and what happened during the trial? You know, being a son of D.C. and doing the good terms for D.C. And, you know, I just sort of laughed it off. I said, this is Kafkaesque. This is a this is a, a Jungian uh, uh, nightmare. And I said that no one who knows me, I've been in this, this neighborhood for nigh on to 40 years. People are going to know that this is this is crazy. Yeah. But it wasn't that way. Rob, the, the thing I keep telling people is it was exactly like you are a Jew and it's 1932 Berlin. And suddenly everybody you have known, including many Republicans, this is the damnable part, the, sh- the, sh- the, the shame of it. Many Republicans respond like Nazis in that he's a Jew. I never knew he was a Jew. My he's been my chiropractor for years. Ugh. I've known him for years. I didn't know he was a Jew. Damn, now I can't go into his office. Damn, now I can't associate with him anymore. I can't go to his Tai Chi class. I can't go to, I've got to find a new chiropractor. That was the shocking part, to see the group think, not only on, you know, the Democrat side, but on the Republican side. And I guess maybe because, you know, they've got, you know, high class jobs that they don't want to lose, you know, the golden handcuffs of jobs, salaries, pensions, grants, uh, and maybe their society. But, you know, Rob, I knew that I never would behave that way. I would never get cajoled into behaving like a Nazi. I've never been to the Holocaust Museum, but I know what it stands for. I know what is purportedly there to symbolize and instruct us. So I was shocked, you know, I headed towards trial. Oh, but I thought that, you know, that I would, you know, being a son of D.C. and with my long public service to D.C., I thought that I would stand a good chance in trial. But um, friends and acquaintances and lawyers, they said, David, don't do it. You know, they said, well, I don't know. You could be right. You could be wrong. You never know. It's the judge. It's the jury. And I said, I don't want a, a jury trial in D.C. I would I would wait to see who the judge was and maybe throw my hands, uh, throw myself on the mercy of the judge yeah. and make a very good, good case that, you know, of how I entered the Capitol, how I uh, and afterwards I saw people entering through broken windows. And I said, you are crazy breaking into the Capitol that way. I mean, I was let in. And I don't know how those other people got in, but I know how I got in. And I was confident that there would be video surveillance that would show how I got in. I was dissuaded from trying the case because they were just going harder on everyone. And they I don't know if I had an angel or if I I don't know if I had people on the inside who knew me, who were working for me, parenthetically mentioned that. 
I got a phone call, I think it was like something like August 21st, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And they said, what's your reaction to saying that you, you killed this officer on January 6th from the Washington Post? I said, what? So I said, I don't know where you got that from. It's in the Huffington Post. We're from the Washington Post. We're doing a story on it. Wow. I don't know anything about it. So I hung up. Then I got another call. He said, I am so-and-so, and I'm not going to say his name because anyone who I, I give their name, um, they can get the same baboon fleas and the same, the same hit squad that I have to deal with. Yes. So any of my friends and lawyers and stuff, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to mention their name. This uh, person, he says, I am tasked with a special task force that gets executive uh, office administration people out of D.C. in times of danger and uh, the most important people on the legislative side. He said, I got a phone call and they said to give you this protection. So here's my name. Here's my number. He said, if, there, if it's just ordinary rumpus, call, call the police 911. But if it looks especially threatening or deadly, you call me and I'm going to get you out of there. And I said, how do you know this? He said, I'm not going to tell you. You won't tell me who, who, who told you to put, put you on your list? He said, no, I won't. And he said uh, something like that, and that was it. And uh, my lawyer and I forgot to mention in my trial, or not my trial, but my sentencing, because then it's a, the prosecution says, you know, you're a threat to society. And I said, well, you know, if I'm such a threat, then why did this guy call me up and put me on this, this special list? paid for by the taxpayers to get me, bundle me out of there if uh, the mob comes for me. Also in my sentence that the prosecutor, bless his heart, twice said that Dr. David Walls Kaufman did not hit Jeffrey Epstein. It sounds as if there was no, even no direct contact between us. And he showed five threads of video evidence from body cams, including Officer Smith's body cam, which is nothing but yellow, a yellow emergency Jersey, uh, and you never even see me in it. And because me looking at the video, I think that he's a body away from me at all times. Uh, that came out in my uh, sentencing uh, because they offered me a plea of they charged me with parading, entering, refusing to leave, and I think protesting without a permit. And they dropped all the three and and reduced it to parading. And since I could, you know, dispute that I wasn't parading, and you know, I'm a writer, you know, I'm a, a student of stolen elections per se, that uh, maybe I could make a good case. I decided that discretion would be the better part of valor. And the prosecution asked for six months of uh, jail time, five years probation. And the judge gave me two years of jail time and no probation. It's a remarkable story. And in the meantime, you have your new book, Robot Archangel and David Walls Kaufman. If people would like to get more information on either of your books or the work that you do, where can we find you online? So you can find me at David walls hyphen Kaufman dot art that um, has links to my two books uh, Caesar Americus one party rule and robot Archangel it also talks about uh, short stories I've won awards for my short stories and uh, the current book that I'm that I'm finishing up now it's a harrowing story and I'm so glad that you took the time to share it with our audience Dr. David Walls Kaufman thank you for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast Thank you for having me, Rob. I hope you have me back sometime.
That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>